0: And welcome back to Things Are Going Great For Me, a podcast about the arts and the entertainment business. My name is J. Claude Deering. I'm an actor and a comedian. If you're new here, welcome. Pull up a chair and get comfortable. Or head out for that jog, because we want you all to enjoy yourselves. My favorite thing to do while listening to podcasts is to do the dishes. A little doing the dishes therapy. On each episode of this series, you'll hear from huge movie stars, big TV stars, and even some bright, shining Broadway stars, as well as second guest interviews with exciting, up-and-coming comics and actors, and established producers, authors, and writers. We banked all the episodes, which also makes this series a time capsule of events that occurred throughout an historic summer. This is the last episode of this limited series, and thanks to your warm response, your kind ratings, and very sweet messages, we are at this moment officially considering this the end of season one. This has been a weird year, (laughs) to say the least. Everybody has been dealing with a personal story that is complicated and full of more than normal concern and worry. For me, this year, uh, my car got stolen. (laughs) I lost a job I really liked. Uh, My family has been dealing with health issues. My wife and I were parents to a newborn, and suddenly we became a full-time daycare in addition to a preschool for our oldest child. For my own personal mental health, I needed this series. Winston and I had geared up to start the podcast back in January. Little did we know that we would have the opportunity of having some of the most brilliant people be home and needing a way to connect and talk some stuff out. I recorded with Chris Pine back in March, and I hung on to that interview for about a month. It wasn't until April that I recorded my interview with Brandon Scott. Then with no clear end in sight for our current worldwide health crisis, I started to pick up steam. It brought me closer to friends, and it's given me even more respect for people I've known for a long time and some who I'd never really had an opportunity to chop it up with in a deeper way. I've been lucky throughout my life to be friends with some truly extraordinary people, often finding common value in the arts. The future of the arts is a question mark right now. But I'm hopeful. I'm glad to know the people I've had on this series. They've all given me hope for a more equitable life in the arts, one in which much-needed stories get told. I'm getting emotional. Um... And I want to say thank you to the listeners who've shown up to join the conversation. There are a million podcasts out there. There are quite a few actory podcasts. My greatest hope is that you found this series spiritually nutritional. I wanted it to be a sort of like my dinner with Andre of the actory podcasts. We could go deep inside baseball within the arts, but we could also have a laugh. We could go highbrow and lowbrow. We could talk about Peter Brook and swollen assholes. (laughs) We could talk about career, but also other things. Mental health, marriage, kids, politics, activism, religion, education, craft, music, disease, disparity, loss, work-life balance, fuck-ups, getting fucked up, the complicated idea of niceness, abandonment, opportunity, identity, happiness. I hope to share that a movie star could show surprising vulnerability and that someone in the hustle could show incredible bravery. That it's always life on life's terms. No year has that been more true than 2020. No pitch at the top today for ratings and reviews, but it wouldn't be an episode of this show if I didn't welcome you all formally to this final episode of season one. So here it is. Hey, Apple podcast peeps. We see you, Spotify folks. Hey now, Stitcher fam. What's up, you freaky pocket casts, cats? Hey, Breaker brethren and sistren. Salutations, radio public people. Hello, you overcast outroverts. Welcome to the party, Google podcasters. We love you all equally, and we hope you love what you've heard, and we're gonna try to keep bringing you new episodes of this show. And by the way, we're thrilled to be sponsored for this limited series by Icelandic Glacial, the purest tasting water on Earth, sourced from the legendary Ulfus Spring in Iceland, naturally filtered through ancient lava rock, and certified carbon neutral for both product and operation. You are what you drink. Be a force of nature. Icelandic Glacial, natural spring water, sourced from Iceland. Available on Amazon, Icelandicglacial.com, and a retailer near you. Today's first guest is Tembi Locke. Tembi is a veteran actor and New York Times bestseller for her memoir, From Scratch, soon to be a Netflix series starring Zoe Saldana. It's a heartbreaking and beautiful story about the loss of her first husband, a wonderful Italian chef named Saro, to cancer. The book was also featured in Reese Witherspoon's Reese's Book Club. Tembi and I worked together on a Blumhouse YouTube original series called 12 Deadly Days, just one of 52 series she's worked on in her very busy career. We talk about the changes to actor pensions and residuals over the years. We also talk about her parents' activism and being targeted by the FBI's notorious COINTEL program. She also talks about the historic nomination of Kamala Harris for Vice President of the United States. Tembi is lovely. She's multi-talented, insightful, and brilliant. It's a wonderful chat. I'll be speaking with her in a few minutes. And a little bit later, you'll also get my conversation with Vinny Chibber. Vinny is a fast-rising actor and producer, and a strong activist for better representation in Hollywood, both in front of and behind the camera. He recently starred as Liam Bott in the Ava DuVernay and Greg Berlanti exec-produced CBS series The Red Line. Vinny talks about the importance of voting and civic engagement. His work as a co-founder of The Salon, a forum whose mission is to accelerate the creative development of South Asian American television and film through community organizing and empowerment. He also talks the disappointment of losing a lead in a new TV show due to the shutdown. Vinny is another graduate of the conservatory program at Stella Adler, so we go way back. Stick around. You're not going to want to miss it. Joining me again today is my producer and co-host, Winston Carter. How you doing, man? I'm good. I remember the beginning of the pandemic felt like, it, at first it felt like a big pause. For the whole world, mm-hmm. we started yep. living life inside and spending a lot more time alone. Have you? Ha, what have you learned about yourself in this quarantine?
1: Um, I've learned, I've, I've learned how, like, I always, I've, I'm very lucky. Is I think what I've learned most. Mm. Uh, I, I was always aware that, like, I'm a person who's not from LA but has family near here. Like, my close family lives, and I like lives within hundred miles of of LA. So I've been very lucky to have, like, people to go see and interact with and, you know, like, like especially now we're kind of staring down the barrel of the holidays and I'm like, I still get to spend the holidays with my family. I'm very lucky to have that opportunity.
0: Cool. Um, yeah.
1: But, uh, so, like, for me, it's mainly been like, oh, this is an adjustment to my life. And I know, like, especially at the beginning, everyone was talking about how, like, oh, I'm kind of built for this. And aside from not doing shows, I'm most of my day-to-day now is the same as it was before. Uh, I have yeah. a more stable job than I did uh, for years when I was working as a contractor. But otherwise, I'm in coffee shops less, which is fine. <laughs> uh, uh, and I'm still like, I think the other thing is like, it's weird how, yeah, you were right. It felt like this big pause, like this kind of terrifying thing at the beginning. And the the thing that I keep thinking about is uh, it that's still out there. <laughs> and everyone's just a little more used to it. And that's a little disconcerting to me. Are you looking forward to
0: shaking hands with folks again? Uh, giving oh, hugs? Do you think I'm it's going to be a while
1: before buddy. you feel comfortable doing that? The second I get that vaccine and if they're like, it's safe, like you're good to go. I I am fully prepared to take a month off work and lose my damn mind. <laughs> I'm, it's going to be wild. If I make it through COVID, then the real question will be, will I make it through my first month out? Um... <laughs> So, but we're no, already, think, so you
0: think the partying is just going to be nuts?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to have to be. I think mean, everyone – I also think it's going to be very weird because everyone's going to, like – there's all types of little social things that I think we get. I, I, what I feel really rough for is, is kids growing up right now, like, missing that socially. like, that's yeah. – I can't imagine. My hope is that we are very resilient beings and we will bounce back from that like like you can you can reacquire those sales especially if everyone's set back the same amount. Did you vote? I did. Oh, did I vote? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I voted uh I think I dropped it in the box a week ago. Yeah. Maybe a little longer. We did it's our mail-in ballot and i did the whole thing.
0: Yeah. Did you yeah. go on and uh confirm your vote on lavote.net? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah. Um yeah, my vote has been counted. It'll count for the whatever 5% of some other people's votes that it counts for, but whatever. Um you that jump, is the want my one big regret. That's my big regret is that I did not move to a place where my vote would have been more impactful in this election. I do that, that I you didn't do regret you me.
0: didn't move to Naples, Florida just for this voting, yeah. just for this election. Why not?
1: I could have. Like that's I keep thinking that I'm like literally we were all given like half of L.A. who are like people who like you know things hit hard and they're kind of out of like out of work and now now like they, they're having. I'm like. We were given a huge move anywhere you want. You can impact this election thing by fate. And I didn't take advantage of it. And I do regret that.
0: Do you want to, uh, I think also, do you want to, do you want to jump on the phone with me on uh, this week and make
1: some calls? Yeah, man. Oh, I'm down. I need to make some calls. Yes. I mean, I had a call. I called Arizona for Hillary and I, nothing can be worse than the responses from that. So, uh, <laughs> oh, I don't
0: sure. know. I made calls for Obama in 08 and those calls were oh weird.
1: Oof, oof,
0: oof. Some weird, weird uh <laughs> responses from people. Um But yeah. I actually I talk about it in my when I in my interview with Vinny. Um mm-hmm. are you looking forward to having a little extra time once this podcast is uh finished for this season?
1: Yes. I am looking forward to I'm looking forward to but I'm also like in my brain already racking up like this is who I want. To be on the show next time mm, right. like i've already like started making those lists <laughs> so yeah i'm excited for it. it's 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 you know uh um, when do you
0: want to start you want to start in january yeah man all right
1: i want i think after the election i is, want to see i want to yeah. see what happens
0: with the election yeah. and then we yeah because i
1: might be living in canada so let's <laughs> we'll figure
0: this out we'll keep doing it remotely are you excited about uh excited about the holidays
1: Ah, uh, oh, incredibly! It's my favorite time of the year. Yeah, me too. No, uh,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, but, I I'm excited to. I don't know. Wh- I don't know how much family we're gonna be seeing, but uh, I'm excited to just roll out the holiday movies and um, get the spike the eggnog and do it up.
1: Yeah, I'm still so, I'm jazzed. Uh, I'm just very. I mean, I who doesn't? I it it is going to make it like. I always get very sentimental. I've had a lot of really lovely holiday experiences in my life, um, but this will be different, and that's okay. It's just going to be a different version of it, you know, um, and yeah. that's fine. So I'm just like – and I'm, and once again, I'm super lucky, you know. I'm, like, going to be with family for pro- – I'm probably going to go stay for a month and, like, really be there. And I'm very lucky to be able to do that. Um, there's a lot of people, my girlfriend being one of them, who are – facing tough questions of, do they go see their family at the holidays? Probably not, but who knows, you know, like yeah. that that's a, that's a decision I don't have to make, which is nice. Um, well, yeah. So it'll just be different.
0: Well, listen, man. Um, I love you, dude. Thank you for doing this You're with the me. Best. Um, this, this has, has been so, been so much fun. fun and it's helped really, it's really helped me during this period of time. Um, thanks for your encouragement. Uh, It's always been great checking in with you week after week.
1: Yeah.
0: And day after day.
1: This has been a blast.
0: (laughs) All right, folks. As always, you've been very patient with us. Without further ado, here now is the hugely talented and wonderful Tembi Block. How are you?
2: How are you today? Thank you for having me.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so happy to have you joining me. I am doing good. It's hot. I'm in Massachusetts. We were talking a little bit about this before we started.
2: Um, the last time I was in Massachusetts was just after I graduated college. I was in uh, Great Barrington.
3: Oh, yeah.
2: And um, it's been a million moons ago. And I remember the Norman Rockwell Museum. That's the last thing I saw in Massachusetts, so
0: Amazing. I he was Norman Rockwell was somewhat progressive, I suppose. I,
2: you know, I, I don't I don't know. I don't even know where to put any so many things are we can talk about this, but so many things are sort of, you know, we, we're looking at everything with new eyes. Yeah. And of course I just remember all of the images and I remember, you know, definitely growing up and <clears throat> not seeing myself in those images. Although recently I've been shown yeah. images of his where there are, you know, African-American families or whatnot. And I just, you know, um, but it was, you know, it's, it's an iconic part of American history. And I remember, um, you know, being in that part of the world and growing up in Texas. It was just um, I was like, oh, this is where all those images come from, <laughs> this part of the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, he has a very famous image, a very famous painting called The Problem We All Live With, mm. which is of a little girl, uh, she's being protected as she's trying to go to school.
2: Okay. okay. That's what it is. I think I, ha- I, think I vaguely remember that image in, in, in some way, and it's interesting because, you know, and, and you and I, I know we're going to talk about this, we talk about, you know, sort of art and work and creativity and all that good stuff. But, um, you know, words have such powerful meaning, you know, along with the images and, and I hear without looking at the image, right. When I hear just the words, the problem we live with that has so that can be read so many different ways. Yeah. (laughs) One of which is she's the problem we live with, you know, or, this situation this america is the problem we all you know but but framing it from the you know it's just it's really i it's so fascinating to be you know alive at a time when we can actually openly dialogue about so many things that you know were um there was no space it was there people were talking about it but there was no collective space to talk about it so yeah that along with um you know, many other changes that are happening in the world, which have you in Massachusetts and me here in L.A. in the middle of, you know, this this pandemic. But we are finding a way to still create and stay true to what 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 matters to us and our voices. So I like yeah. that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, you actually your your family history includes um, some quite serious activism. Um, it's true, am I correct, that both of your parents were activists and were, in fact, uh, had files at the FBI as part of their COINTEL, their infamous COINTEL program. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. Yes, And it's funny, I recently asked both of them if they would like to see their FBI files, and neither of them is interested in it. Um, And I believe they would have to, I believe they would have to request it. I don't think my sister and I could just like, (laughs) you know, you know, um, unless, you know, we had power of attorney of some sort. Um, But I'm just fascinated to know what's what's in there. And it may be not, it may be one sheet of paper, or it could be, you know, you know, reams of paper. I just have no clue. I'd love to know, though.
0: So that is, that's so fascinating. I didn't know, So basically at this point it has been declassified and it, it, so the, the, it, does that mean, am I correct so far?
2: I mean, I, I don't, you know, it's funny. My sister and I joke about the fact that we should read their files, but we actually never have. So I don't know if they're declassified or classified. I've just assumed that my parents would have to be the one to request them. They are just yeah. have no interest in seeing them. They are just like, we lived it and we don't ever want to know what the FBI thought of our lives. Because yeah. we know what we were living through, <laughs> and we also know what the FBI was like, you know at, 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 as an agency at that time. yeah, and it's funny because growing up, you know um i um, you know, I, I remember having our phone tapped, you know in in the house, and I'm, you know of an age where we had you know obviously landlines, and you know, there was like the rotary and push button, you know phones physically. Phones and um, we—I remember being very small and h- learning how to take off, uh, unscrew the part of the receiver, um, and take something out if we wanted to call my grandparents. Oh like my we God. had to have. Pressure- to talk to our grandparents for whatever reason, it was like I, you know, and it, it you know, it, it would, and I just thought that was the most normal thing in the world. And then when I got to school, elementary school, and realized not everyone like sort of, you know, you know, MacGyvered their receiver of their phone <laughs> before they call the grandparents. That's yeah. when I knew my family's different.
0: Wow, Tempe, that's so that's so scary to grow up with that amount of uh, fear, even about something that is in your own home, a telephone. Um,
2: yeah, yeah, I and you know I just was so normative, but it's it's interesting. It it really helps you know now at this age I can I can see where how that very base sort of um, if you will questioning or second guessing or mistrust yeah. of you know certain entities that other people held near and dear and true. You know how that's really informed me as a you know as a woman today as, as a mother as a citizen as an artist. So
0: yeah absolutely and you and so and am i correct also that so your name was chosen for you by stokely carmichael's wife miriam yes, mccaba
2: yeah miriam McCabe named me you know was a, a you know uh a a brilliant artist and activist you know in her own right who was known as mama africa she was you know exiled from from south africa um, under, under apartheid because she sang uh, against the apartheid regime and um although you know nelson mandela was you know um imprisoned you know inside Mm. a country she was merely she was not merely she was exiled from it and so she went around the world singing the about the atrocities and raising awareness that way and i feel so honored that she gave me my name and you know growing up i kind of my parents talked about her and her work but you know it was really in high school that i really began to sort of interrogate not because it was obviously it was also at the height of the apart of a the apartheid government and i was really asking yeah. of myself to know who she was and who might she be to me obviously i i actually did meet her when i turned 30 I actually did meet her in person but but i didn't know her there was no like ongoing relationship with my parents but she was someone that i deeply admired and respected and and i feel very grateful that in some way her her voice in the world touched my life.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yeah. Um so now on a different note entirely, you so you recently got married.
2: <laughs> I did. <laughs> Congratulations. I did. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. um, I am one of the I'm I'm sure many, many, many people who are, you know, doing a pivot in the middle of the pandemic. And, you know, we had we had a ceremony planned for um, late spring, uh, early summer. And, um, you know, that didn't happen. So we just went. We did a backyard Zoom wedding
0: well it was it looked absolutely lovely um and yeah i attended my first zoom wedding this week for two friends of mine
2: what did you think
0: i mean it was lovely and beautiful and um you know what a what a wonderful reminder that love exists right now at a time when um things feel like they're falling apart, I guess, in a lot of ways.
2: You're absolutely right. And that was one of the reasons, you know, ultimately that pulled me to do it. I mean, we will still have, you know, a ceremony in which we gather with, you know, close family and friends, but that is who knows when, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. who know, who knows when. And so in the meantime, you know, love doesn't just sort of put itself on hold, you know, and we thought, yeah, we've made this commitment. Why not commit? and do it intimately and safely. We did it in the backyard, just the three of us. And we all exchanged vows to each other and we married.
0: Yeah, that's so lovely. I loved looking at all those photos. And now also, uh, you know, I've been having conversations on here with folks who are also parents about Mm -hmm. being home with our kids. How is it going with the quarantine parenting?
2: um quarantine parenting is next no next i've already i've said writing a memoir was next level parenting if you include your (laughs) child in which by the way it is next level parenting to write a book (laughs) that includes your child that's a whole it takes it to a whole other level but quarantine parenting is like I, i i i um i'm at a loss for words for the ways in which it is both at times so beautiful because i'm deeply aware my daughter's much older than your kids when I say much older I mean they're all kids but she's you know she's 15 so she I'm very aware of the fact that you know in a short time I'm not gonna have her under my roof right we're in our Mm -hmm. you know our sort of that 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 time between parent and child where I'm helping to sort of shape her and form her so that she could be she can fly, you know, she can fly. And so in a way to be quarantined during that time, you know, when teenagers are normally pushing against parents, right, for yeah. independent or like doing their own thing. And by the way, some of that is totally still going on. But a lot of it is also like a closeness and a sense of of of, of gratitude that we have for each other. Um, so it's, you know, it's challenging and we're all, you know, stuck in the same space and, you know, the house is both, you know. It's a, it's a school, it's an office, it's a home gym, it's an entertainment. You know, we're like, we're trying yeah. to do everything, you know, out of these four walls and it gets, it's a lot. But You're we're, still we're doing having,
0: the working out, huh? That is an, that is oh, a branch that. too far for me at this point. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Listen, that, I, we, we, we are all doing it in, in very uneven, you know, and sort of fits and starts. But we did do something recently that that was really cool. We set, a, um, I just put like every piece of equipment. And when I say that, I mean, it's like, you know, Uh, A a yoga ball, yoga mats, like, you know, a couple of hand weights. Um, And we put them all in the backyard. And it was like, okay, for one hour, we just have family exercise hour in the backyard, period, end of story. Mm -hmm. Everybody has to do something, whatever that is. (laughs) And um, it's been fun doing that. We look forward
0: to it. That sounds fun, particularly with your yeah when it's a fifteen-year-old. We yes, we're we're trying to figure that out. I think once we're back in LA, I think we're gonna be we'll be. I think mom is gonna get her special time to be doing that, and I will maybe get my own time, maybe to just run around in the neighborhood. Um, So so now this podcast has turned into a little bit of a time capsule uh during this quarantine um it was mostly meant to talk about the business but you know the and the, that meaning the entertainment business but of course a lot has been happening so in that spirit um you and i've already started talking a little bit about what has been going on uh, in the country politically and today was a momentous day kamala harris was chosen Hours before our interview to be biden's uh vp pick um do you have high hopes for biden harris tickets Listen, <laughs> I, I
2: gotta have. High, let me tell you something. I gotta have high hopes. I wake up in the morning and I, you know, I pull on, I pull up my high hopes. I'm like, I because without high hopes, we're not getting out of any of this, right? So yeah, yeah. I, yes, yes, I do have high hopes. I and, um, you know, it's. I, I was very happy to see the smile on my daughter's face when she saw a woman and someone who, you know, you know, looks like her. Mm -hmm. Um, nominated.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So we know each other originally from working on a Blumhouse project, which was also a YouTube original series. It was called 12 Deadly Days. Um, (laughs) It also starred, yeah, it also starred Betty Gabriel, Tia Sierkar, and Jonathan Fletcher, amongst others.
2: I completely remember that. We shot it at a mental – well, my stuff filmed mostly at a mental institution, <laughs> a former mental institution, a shuttered mental institution somewhere. For I children, know, I think. Like, yeah, like somewhere way out the 10 freeway in L.A. And hmm. I remember th- holy – okay, goodness. If these, if these walls could talk – to film a horror series in a place <laughs> – Where I know horrors and atrocities, it seemed to me, I mean, I want to denigrate the state of California, but this building was built in what, the 30s, the 40s? I don't think that they were cutting edge, sensitive, (laughs) you know, mental health work back in the 19, you know, back then. So, Right? So I just, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, Um, you know, I sort of like had to say like an energetic prayer, you know, when we were there. and it was so hot i don't know if the days you were filming but i think we filmed in the summer wasn't it
0: oh it was yeah no it was hot yeah mhm yeah it was a mental it was-, in- it was a former mental institution for children
2: which adds- oh Jesus. That was that's what it was because now you rem. you're reminding me there <laughs> the thing that really haunted my soul w- there were um metal old school um playground
0: oh yeah there was, oh, yeah. remember, do you
2: remember the playground equipment that I, was there I do. like a merry-go-round and like a slide and it was like it was just like with like tumbleweeds going by and like <laughs> it just was so eerie and I thought oh my gosh these these you're right these poor children Jesus
0: yeah yeah absolutely you uh, no, you and I were in fact we were in fact in the very last scene of the first season of the series which was kind of a fun cliffhanger.
2: <laughs> yeah that was really fun to do that Blumhouse does crazy I've done two two I think two projects maybe three for them yeah and um, it's it's you know they're they and they 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 bring it they bring the the the, the cliffhangers and the gore
0: they sure <laughs> do now you have at least two substantial careers at this point um, as an actor you got your start in roles on iconic shows like *The Fresh Prince of Bel Air*, hanging with Mr. Cooper, *Beverly Hills 90210*, *Martin*, *Jamie Foxx Show*, and *Friends*.
2: Oh my God! In, oh yeah. yeah, I
0: took a look. <laughs> and In you fact, did.
2: you went deep, deep. <laughs>
0: you have to date at least over 125 episodes of television across 52 TV series. Is, does that sound right, or am I off? Oh my
2: gosh! Where do you get this data? I like it. I'll use it if I. I I've never. I've never. Seen seen it put that way but I'm sure that feels right. I mean I, mean, I counted. Okay, well then there you go. Then there
0: you go. Yeah. I mean to I- me so I'm such a nerd about what we do as performers um and I am so impressed with a career like yours it's one that I aspire to. So yeah, and you and you've also had some major recurring roles including Uh, maybe some series regular roles. Is that right? Were you a series regular on Eureka for a few seasons? I was,
2: I was, um, I was, you know, it's funny. um, So if we can just like get, you know, geekish for a minute about the, um, you know, the sort of the the behind the scenes of it. I think, I I don't know. I think I was what they call a, um, like a heavily recurring. I don't know that a quite series regular, but I was in the last two seasons. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how, of it I did. But you know, yeah, it was it was I loved that show. It was so fun to shoot. It was it was a breath of fresh air at a time in my life where I really needed it. And yeah. I loved the cast, I loved the crew, I loved flying to Vancouver to work. Um, it was just really, really and the fans loved the show. They just loved yeah. that show.
0: And you got to work with uh Joe Morton? Is that right? I did. I mean Okay, he's... funny
2: story. you want a fun, funny Joe Morton story. Oh, please,
0: yes, definitely. Okay.
2: So the first day of filming Eureka, my filming of Eureka, you know, I'm coming into a show that's been on the air, a, fan, a huge fan base, well-beloved. Right. I think they were in there for, you know, they'd had three seasons, maybe four under their belt when I show up for my first day of work. And I know that I'm playing Joe Morton's love interest. And the director, um, Matt Hastings, had us... Uh, what he wanted to do for that first scene, now anyone who sort of is really into you know, Eureka knows that in that, in that first season that I appear, there's a timeline issue there. And my character is, thinks she's married to Joe Morton when in fact she's, he doesn't know that she's married to him. And so that's <laughs> the sci-fi of it all, right? So right. anyway, um, the director decided to keep us separate. And so we would not and could not meet until we got on set to begin filming so no trailer talk no seeing each other trying to really create in our like first rehearsals that sort of hold on to that energy and i remember being so nervous like in the trailer Mm. like okay wait a minute hold on i would really feel a lot better if i could just like say hello to him first yeah before Oh, you know, meet him. Um, but it worked beautifully because, um, and Matt knew exactly what he was doing by directing it that way and directing us that way. And Joe, of course, was incredibly gracious, but he was also like, who are you? Right. <laughs> Which is exactly what the character, you know, needs. So it was just, I think, I think Joe and um, Matt got together and decided that. So anyway, Joe and I film, we, we have, you know, the two seasons that, you know, I play his wife and we have this little sort of love interest. And then fast forward to just before the pandemic happens, I'm in New York because my book, which we'll talk about, I'm sure had yes. was nominated, um, for, a, an audio award it, for, you know, for us as, as one of the best audio books of, of this past year. Right, And so, Joe is in the same building because Joe has a beautiful career as an audiobook narrator. And I see, and I didn't know he was in the room, so I'm like, Joe, I'm like literally the geek in the room, like waving, Joe, Joe, it's me, you know, like across tables, everybody's like in, you know, black tie and it's all, you know, formal and, and New York and, you know, books. And I'm like, Joe, 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 Joe. And of course, you know, he sees me and, um, it was a really lovely reunion. He gave me a big hug and he was like, what are you doing here? (laughs) I have a book and he's like, yes. You know, so it was, it was just wonderful to talk about like two, like we knew each other in this one lane and I didn't, you know, I knew he recorded books, but it was just wonderful for our book lives to meet up in this space again. And it was almost yeah. like a mirror image to the first time we met where he's like, what are you doing here?
0: Oh, that's so great. And what a wonderful way to, to be, to, to be reacquainted with him with your uh, very substantial uh, a book that we're going to talk about. You are a very accomplished writer. You have written a memoir from scratch, a memoir of love, Sicily, and finding home. The book was one of Reese Witherspoon's book club selections. It's also been featured in Oprah Magazine. And next up, it will be a Netflix series starring Zoe Saldana, who is playing you.
2: Okay, the fact that you just strung all those words together that made a sentence that communicated that message still, feels surreal to me (laughs) like i'm just like wait what that's what yeah yeah all of that everything you just said is true everything you just said is happening and it is still um quite um a stroke of 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 just grace and and surprise uh in my life that 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 has come to pass but yes i wrote i wrote from scratch um i think i got the book deal in 2017 is when i um you know, began writing it with an actual deadline and a publisher in mind, because I've yeah. been working on it many years while I was acting. I was that person that between takes, you know, I had my notebook out and I was just writing down my thoughts or I'd go back to my trailer. I didn't eat lunch with anybody. And, you know, and I would just write, you know, mostly for my own gratification and my own um, sense of, you know, self-exploration. Yeah. Um, and without knowing that... It would eventually become a book i think somewhere in my mind i hoped i might have a book in me in fact i found i recently when i say recently meaning in the last uh, year or so ago i found a journal of mine from i think it was right before i think it was like 99 or something mm-hmm. and right before we're getting ready to you know turn into the, toward the new millennia and i was i was writing down things that like i would love to happen to me in like the next century you know and it was very lofty right yeah. But i one of the things i wrote down like buried in uh, and i can't even tell you what the other things were but one of the things was to publish a book and i when i came across that i was like wait what because i don't remember writing that hmm. i don't remember um
1: you know, I didn't even remember
2: that journal, but I, th- and at the time I think what I was, I was really into photography and I was hoping that I might have a book of, of photographs, like a photography book. I think that's what I intended when I put that list. But of course, you know, life ha- takes many turns and you stay open and new things happen. And so, um, yeah. more than a photography book, I wrote a memoir and it went to the New York times bestseller list.
0: It's incredible and it's such a beautiful book. So the story is in part about loss and about grief. It's also about starting over. Uh, it features your fairy tale romance with your first husband, an Italian chef named Saro. Mm-hmm. He grew up in Sicily. You were born in Texas. You were as you were saying, you were studying art history and Italian at Wesleyan and you had a, you had a boyfriend of yours at the time, Connor (laughs) suggested you should do a year abroad in Italy. So what happened with Connor? Just as a quick side note,
2: (laughs) Connor, I'm sure is having his life somewhere with that. You know? Yeah, no, I think he understood. Listen now, actually in retrospect for a guy to say, to send his, you know, and I think I'm using, um, very, strong language to call him my boyfriend. I don't know that we were that quite, (laughs) but we were, you know, but nonetheless for him to like tell the girl that he's, you know, hanging out with, you should go to Italy. (laughs) He's basically saying bye bye because the minute you get to Italy, hello, as a woman, what do you think is going to happen? Um, so I don't know if he knew he was saying that to me. Um, he was conscious of that. But no, we didn't. That didn't last past my me handing my passport over to the Italians to say. I thought that was
0: great. just this little subplot about Connor. Um, so this is, but and then of course this is where you met Sara, correct? On yes. this first trip. Okay, so and then yeah. in the very first chapter of your book, um, it is beautiful and touching. You are driving a small Fiat in a in a Sicilian village with his ashes. Mm -hmm. He had been your husband in a small wooden box tucked between your legs. He had very, very sadly passed away from cancer. Um, Mm -hmm. And as as a married uh, person myself with kids, I I cannot even imagine, although you describe it so thoroughly and heartbreakingly, beautifully, um, that is a kind of pain that nobody wants to even think of. Um, And particularly this moment when you had to, when you were explaining what was going on to your, at the time, seven-year-old daughter. Zoella, yes. Who is an incredibly yes. brave young woman? Um, this is a. There's a lot that is so beautiful uh, in this book. You know, I uh, and, and of course, food does feature heavily here. I, I I found that the book showed a way in which food can serve as many things. One of them being sort of a time machine for memories. Mm-hmm. W- would you mm-hmm. agree?
2: Oh, absolutely. And you know, as actors, we understand the power of an endowed object and sense memory mm. and. You know, all of that. And so, yeah, food is one of the, I mean, it's one of the, the first, um, you know, the sense of taste. I mean, going from childhood, sense of smell, all of that is so, so primal, almost primal. Our survival depends on, we have lots of memories packed into different foods. Yeah. And I did try, because, you know, having been married to a chef, I understood the power of that and the power of that to cut across so many um uh, to, 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 in to invite joy, to cut through pain, to yeah. invite connect. Um, so, you know, I definitely write about food in that way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, thank you for your, for your description of the book. Thank you. It, it means a lot to me.
0: It was very, it was very moving to me. And I think, you know, and and to a lot of people, um, you know, this thing about food as serving this, as this interesting connection with the people in our lives who are good at cooking and who love to cook. I mean, I really love to cook. So does my mother. She took French cooking classes. Um, I was so moved by that section in your book where you you picked up Sorrow's knife. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and felt the weight of it in your hand. And I, I, you know, I think that, you know, in, yeah, in that sort of that way that the food it can, it, it can revive a, a person in this case. Um, Absolutely.
2: And- Absolutely. And it became, you know, cooking became, um, um, you know, kind of an instrument of my grief in a, in, in a, in a lot yeah. of ways. And to, to a large degree still is. Um, it was a, it, it was a way especially going into the kitchen in the wake, the first, you know, weeks and months year after his passing and choosing to cook and by the way, you know. Having been married to a chef, I did not do the cooking in the house. Just didn't, and you know, I was an okay cook, you know, ish. Um, But suddenly, in the wake of his loss, um, all that—not only was his physical being gone, but that rapport, that 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 that—all of that sensory that that we the 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 life of our senses that we shared together in the kitchen was gone, and so. To go into that space and hold his chef's tools, right? Mm. To use the cutting board that he used a million times, to use the same pans. It just, it all was imbued with so much memory. And I wanted to write about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you've included a number of recipes in this book. They, they, is that, do you think this is now going to be maybe a third? Career. Where do you go from here with your own cooking? Is there a sequel to From Scratch? Do you think on its way?
2: You know, it's funny. I don't. I'm really toying with my next book. Um, I have there are a couple of of, of almost sort of competing. I uh, how shall I say competing ideas coming to me right now. And usually if I say that they're competing, it just means I'm still unclear because there's really one way I'm going to go. I just, I need it to reveal itself and sit more. And I I, I Hmm. feel like I will continue to, um, I definitely will continue to write. I think food will hold a space. I would love to just do a cookbook at some point. I don't think that's my second book, but I would love to do one. I would want to find a compelling reason to do one and, and what that cuisine would be. Cause I don't think I'm someone that's just, Hey, these are the, you know, 25 favorite recipes of 10 Like, yeah, eh, not so interested in that, <laughs> but if there's a way in which I can, you know, that the, the, there's a way in which that the collection of whatever recipes I bring forward in a book hook up to a greater story or some greater sense, then I'd be really driven to do that. I don't quite have that yet, but the other idea that I'm working on, um, would kind of meet up in time and space with my life some five years after From Scratch has ended.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, yeah. I, and it what yeah, it say? feels like
0: something that you're going to, con- I mean, it, it will be something that you would just revisit naturally yeah. in your life yeah. uh, time and time yeah. again.
2: Yeah, I think so. And, I, and you know, it's funny because people talk about there's, I don't know if you know the writer Danny Shapiro, um, but she's, oh gosh, he has don't. like maybe three, three or four memoirs out. She's also a novelist, but she really sort of circles the wagons of her life in a way that is so compelling and it's very instructive. The power of narrative, and for those of us who um, you know are interested in sort of reflecting on not only the meaning of our lives but using sort of moments that that pass through our lives to hook up to sort of bigger conversations about just what it means to be human. Mm. He inspires me a great deal, and I'm like, oh, if Danny, I see her write about her life for, through many different prisms, and this was from scratch, very much looking at my life through the prism of food and loss and love and Sicily and motherhood. And so, you know, my life looks different now than it did five years ago. What would I write about now? So I'm, I'm asking myself those questions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you, and am I right that you are working with your sister, who is a, a TV writer, on this adaptation for Netflix? Am I correct?
2: You are absolutely correct. I am working with Attica, my sister's Attica Locke. Um, for those who are TV geeks, I will say um, so she's been um, a producer on Empire and hmm. she's been a producer and writer on uh, When They See Us for Netflix, as well as Little Fires Everywhere for Hulu with Reese and Carrie Washington, um, yeah. Reese Witherspoon and Carrie Washington. Um, and so she has this, you know, beautifully prolific and profound television writing career she is also an accomplished novelist so my sister has five books i'm going to say that again five books um (laughs) that are all award-winning and so she's really been a champion for me and i admire her she's a mentor in a lot she's a sister she's a mentor she's best friend she's all these things right and so i um when it came time to sort of look at adapting the memoir my memoir it was really it made sense for us to partner in a way to realize this one because it could not be in better hands i just admire right. her work as a writer but two she has my sister she'll protect the story yeah <laughs> you know she gets it, she knows it and she she was right beside me for like pretty much every event that i write about in that book so I she was knows thinking- yeah. Of course.
0: What an incredible support to have. Yeah. If you're going to embark on this story in a different medium. Um, exactly. As you said, to have somebody else in the room who it, it, it also is so established um, to make sure that you get to tell your story correctly.
2: Yes. And she really knows um, we had a lot of long talks, you know, before we thought about doing this. Um, not so much because we work well together. That was never really something we discussed. It was more about the idea that you know to translate to your point to take something from page and to take it to the screen—it's a completely different medium. It's going to yeah. require a different way into the story.
4: Yeah.
2: And you know, and I, you know, as a first-time screenwriter, because you know, I was—I wrote the um, co-wrote the pilot with her—was very much like, okay, I kind of have to take off the hat of me who lived it, take off the hat of me who wrote the book. And now put on this new hat, come to this material as if I didn't live it, as if I didn't write it, and go, how would I adapt this? And that was a really trippy intellectual and creative pursuit <laughs> and oh
4: exercise. But I,
2: yeah, it was trippy. But it was really cool, and it was great doing it with someone who you know, knows, like, yeah, yeah, we don't need that. That don't, won't go. Let's, you know, because you like in a page in a book, I can take two pages and talk about how, you know, a, a, you know, eating pizza for the first time seaside in the Mediterranean made me feel right. I can take yeah. two pages and write about that on screen. That has to be done with one visual gesture.
0: Right. <laughs> like and right. maybe
2: one line of dialogue. Or how and about you gotta, when
0: like, you were talking about the, the, the young woman in Italy, you were talking about the smell of cigarettes maybe on her breath when she was pushing sorrow on you.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So that, you know, we know as actors, we have to translate that into behavior. That's visual. That's behavior that the audience will see on screen, right? Yeah. Because you also... You know, and, and and it may never even require a line of dialogue. But like you've gotta like put the, those sort of details in the script. So it was really a beautifully creative exercise for me as as a writer to sort of and as just a creative person to sort of try my hand at it. And I'm so blessed that I had many people in my life saying, You can do this, you should do this. Nope, of course you have to be a part of the adaptation. You know, because I think there was, you know, I think you know, there are many of us out there who you know, for the longest time, I thought, well, I'm an actor, I'm an actor, I'm an actor. And I kind of kept it like, Hmm. that's the one thing I do. And it's taken me, you know, to this stage in life where I go, wait a minute, I do many things. And I can do them. Well, I can't do them all at the same time. But I do them, you know, I can I can do them. And I just need to give the space to allow myself to develop and where what I don't know, I need to partner or find mentors who can help me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, you talked also in the book a little bit about that period of when you're in the middle of grief, where it's like you as an actor, it's like, how do you show up
2: oh, for an audition?
0: Was, how do you go oh, audition during that period of time? Oh my God,
2: that was, I have to say, I went through such an identity crisis um, yeah. on so many levels after he passed one, just who I was in the world without my best friend, the person who had yeah. been with me pretty much my whole adult life, who was my, you know, my, the father of my child. I mean, it was, so I'm in this whole identity crisis. And then on top of it, my relationship with my career as an actor was undergoing a major shift because I wasn't sure how to approach the work anymore because I had the big emotional experience sitting right at the forefront of my life. And I could not. Always trust that I could just push it aside and step into some other character. And in fact, there were many yeah. auditions I would go on. And you know, I work with a wonderful acting coach who's also a friend and mentor, Julie Ariola. And she would often say she she could feel when, like, you know, I don't know, maybe I was up for like. You know, I'm making something up right now. But I think in the book I write about a cop, a role of, uh, for a, a police procedural. But that sadness was always in everything I did. I just couldn't, mm. especially early on. And I finally just had to submit to it and say, that is what it is. I'm going to do this series of auditions. It won't always be that way, but I'm not going to not audition.
0: That's I'm just incre- pr- That takes incredible strength.
2: Yeah, I'm just going to bring my best self to the room. I may not get anything for the next six months, but when and where I can't, I'm going to show up and eventually mm-hmm. something will shift. And, you know, I had to sort of be in contract with myself because before I'd always been like, well, I I'm want i going out for this because I really want this part. And a lot of times I didn't necessarily even want the part. I just wanted to get out of my house and maybe have sometimes <laughs> a reason to put on makeup and clothes. Do you know what I mean? And
0: you mean the, of- the sort of living in LA thing of just like you got to yeah. get out of your apartment? Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and that I could never like say that out loud to my agents. I, was, I wasn't going to be like, hey, yeah, send me on that audition. I don't actually really want it. <laughs> I just want to get dressed and get out of the house. But, you know, I had repre- I had representatives who really, you know, they know me well. They know me intimately. I think on some deep level without us ever having that conversation, they got that in those first six months I was, you know, a hot yeah. mess. And who knows what was going to happen when I went in. And, and sometimes I booked things, you know, to my surprise. Um and actually I played a widow within the first 6 months of losing Sato.
0: I mean, yeah. Right? I, I cannot yeah. I cannot imagine but except that, you know, when you talk to actors like actors are are they're we're clear that I think that people who when they are they think about acting, they think of it as like a type or they take one acting class, they think of it as like therapy. It's it's not really therapy, but It's it's typically, it's kind of like these magic tricks that we do for the, you know, to sort of communicate the story to to an audience member. But there are, of course, these times where your real story overlaps, you know, very closely with the work that you're doing. And you can have a cathartic experience without question.
2: Yes, yes. yes. And it was, I, I think the main thing for me was I understood that I was in survival mode for my whole life. Yeah. And that included me saying the thing I want at the end of this is to still have some kind, some kind of a career. And so I have to keep showing up. And I, and that's just the only, I couldn't see beyond that. And that was all that mattered. And, you know, auditioning is hard, you know, and I did get offered a few parts and that made it easier for in some way, because it was like, I kind of, I think, you know, I've, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I've never been someone who, like, love... I have actor friends who love auditioning. Like, they just love the audition. Oh,
0: my I God, just, really? That's incredible.
2: No, no, no I, literally, I li- Because I think especially, especially before everything went digital and it was like you were just talking into, like, a camera, you know, meaning when you used to... There was a time in Hollywood, oh, so many moons ago, when there were actually decision makers in the room with you and you right. could actually... Cl- Like you would be with the screenwriter, you'd be with a director, perhaps you'd be with a producer. And that was sometimes really fun and collaborative because you would get a mini sense of what it might be like to work with these people on set, especially if you were working over the course of multiple episodes. Right. And there's no substitute for that. You can't like, you know, just, you know, record something into your iPhone and have that be a substitute for actually meeting human beings and talking about the role. So. Back in the day, I had friends who really loved auditioning in that way because they liked the collaboration. I, you know, Mm. I, I sort of liked it, but I really love working on set. And, yeah. uh, that, that's where I just, I, I just, I love it. 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 And, you know, it's funny, I have other friends who, you know, great auditioners, they get on set and they get, it's, it's harder for them a little bit, you know, they, it's, it's, it's a little, you know, until they get their rhythm. And sometimes if you're a day, if you're in for the day, like you're guest starring one day player, Oh yeah you don't have time to get into your rhythm. You just kind of got to get there. You're there already. And, you know, I've been a journeyman actor for 25 years now, and I've walked on many a set and you know with whomever is the lead of whatever show that is and i've got and and you know sometimes that actor does or doesn't want to rehearse with you and oh, so yeah. when the camera rolls you just got to be ready to go you only know how to do that when you're a journeyman actor and you've shown up over and over and over and over and over, and over again and you like working on sets and you kind of understand the link you kind of understand the you can read the tea leaves a little bit. Mm. You know, is this a set where people are super open? Is this a quiet set? Is this one where, you know, the, you know, you can talk to the lead actors? You know, And that journey of an actor is a very specific lane that, you know, I, I hope will stay within our business. But I understand that um, the way things are changing, it, it's hard to make a living just doing guest stars. I mean,
0: it is. It, yeah, well, I was, was going to ask you about... All. Yeah, because you talked about it, your book uh, in your book as well. You talked about earning a, a pension, that you had earned a, a, a good pension from acting, which is such an interesting way of talking about the business because that for all the work that I have done, which is not that much, um, mm-hmm. it is I, there's no I don't know what that even means to get a pension. <laughs>
2: Oh, well, and that, well, so yeah, listen, when I, I mean, it's funny. I am now like one of those, (laughs) I'm now one of the, because I've been in the business for 25 years, right? So I can, I'm now myself telling the kinds of stories that I heard told to me when I first landed in Hollywood and was on my first set, right? So I remember when I started in the business in the mid nineties, People who were at maybe, let's say they were at the tail end of their career, they would have actually started working in like maybe even the 50s, for all I know. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they were at the end of, so they were telling, there were people I'd work with who remembered not getting residuals for things.
0: Oh. They remembered
2: when the guild instituted getting residuals and getting a pension and all of those, those sort of the hard won rights. Yeah. of being an actor and being a journeyman and dedicating your life to this profession right to the artistic yeah. pursuit and to the delivery of entertainment to the masses of like there it's an actual career and that the guild was there to really sort of supply us with to, uh, and, uh, to support our lives in a way that we could keep doing the work that we loved so they were telling me how lucky I was to be starting in a business where you got residual fast forward to today <laughs> and like in one single career i've seen so many things change and we're kind of like back to kind of a place where we were with those old actors who were telling me that they didn't get yeah they didn't have the protections that they once had you know that, that i i enjoyed so i sit in this very sweet spot of starting my career at a time when you could amass a pension you could do x amount of guest stars a year and you know raise a family and work in the business and be a journeyman and that is more challenging today and so i really and i have a i have two younger brothers who are pursuing careers as actors Mm. and i talk to them a great deal about those challenges and for them i don't know that their reality will be the same because we have streaming i mean the whole structure there's been so much market disruption business disruption how we get paid that i do often wonder how journeyman actor or if that will even be a turn 10 years from
0: yeah i'm not sure either Uh, you know i think that we've talked a little bit on this podcast with other folks about how much it costs sometimes to be an actor like if you're gonna go to you know a a film festival how much you have to invest in your you you know sometimes you know oftentimes if it's uh, a woman it's like hair and makeup you have to pay for and all this stuff you're in some cases, you're flying yourself to this, you it's know. It's
2: obscene. It's obscene. It's obscene. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, listen, I look at it, you know, very much, um, and I've always tried as hard as it was and is, is at times to sort of understand, you know, a lot of things we do in this business are loss leaders, meaning we do it knowing that we're not going to recoup that back, but with hopes to advance the ball either in, You know, being more well-known or people, you know, that's why we do it. And we spend all of this time and resources with coaching and, you know, self-taping. And, of course, now I think that's getting a lot cheaper. But, you know, the hair and makeup, of course, now in this pandemic, people are learning how to do their hair and makeup, you know. But you can't, you know, I I can't fly a plane. So I am, you know, like, you know, I can't fly, you know, you're going to pay to fly yourself there. And people don't often understand that to be just a working actor, the kinds of commitments financially, mentally, emotionally that we are putting forward to do the thing that we love doing. And I have to say, I did reach a point Mm -hmm. in my grief after the loss of my husband, where I realized that if I wanted to go forward and do that, I also had to create another revenue stream for myself, I Mm. hoped. Um, And that also I was thinking, well, maybe if I wrote something, you know, I didn't know that I would write a book that would become, you know, a bestseller by any stretch of the imagination. But I thought, oh, maybe I could write magazine articles, like on the side. You know what I mean? Like that could be like my side hustle to my you know I was just sort of looking for creative ways to diversify which you know we all get now that's sort of the economy everyone is in but I think we as actors have been principled and accustomed to doing that from the beginning of our careers we've never once thought oh I just act 100% and do nothing else you know what I mean
0: absolutely well Tembi I am so so happy that it has worked out I you know this is this book from scratch is a, it's beautiful. It is really beautiful. Um, I, I so appreciate that you came on to take the time to chat with me today. Um, wow,
2: it's my pleasure, thank you. You
0: have such an incredible life and incredible story. Uh, thank you so much for sharing it with me today. And um, I wish you so much happiness in your new marriage. Thank you. best wishes for all of your upcoming projects. What is the latest with the production on the Netflix series? Is it, is it, were you into production? What's the status?
2: Yeah. So we have all of our scripts written and we are, we've got, you know, we've got our, uh, we've hired our director. We're sort of in this waiting mode. We're, Meeting with casting director soon. I think we're going to be set to go. All plans being what they are, to begin filming in January and start pre-production sometime this fall.
0: That's so, so fingers exciting.
2: Fingers yeah, crossed. Fingers, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And other than that, I you know I have I have a small part in. Um, there are no small parts. See, I shouldn't say that. I have a role in. <laughs> um, never have I never ever. Never
0: have I, never. I right. ever. Right. No. Which just got a second season. Congratulations.
2: Oh, so I hope I hope they'll ask me back. We'll see.
0: <laughs> well, they, I'm sure that you have a good relationship with Netflix at this point.
2: <laughs> oh, this has been such a blast! Thank you so very much. I talk to you anytime, all day long. I love talking about craft and 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 acting and creativity and the ways that we try to make a living as artistic people in the world. It's just, I think it's it's we have to share. We have to share that knowledge.
0: Well, there you have it. My conversation with Tembi Locke. A big thank you again to Tembi for doing it. I hope you all enjoyed it. You can find Tembi's memoir, From Scratch, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and IndieBound. The little girl in the Norman Rockwell painting referenced at the top of the interview is Ruby Bridges, one of the youngest political activists in U.S. history. The fact that Ms. Bridges' name didn't immediately come to me in the moment shows I've still got work to do in my own ongoing education about the civil rights movement. I've had the opportunity to speak with more than a few guests this season who hold first-person experiences with systemic racism in the arts world and within the country at large. We have an historic opportunity to elect an extremely qualified Black and South Asian American woman to be Vice President of the United States this coming Tuesday. This is it, folks. History looking us directly in the eyes. Let's not get this one wrong. We previously committed to splitting twenty percent of our Patreon subscriptions between the Louisville Community Bail Fund for those protesting in honor of Brianna Taylor and to Black Lives Matter. We will at this point donate the entirety of the remaining proceeds of our Patreon subscriptions for this season to Black Lives Matter. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. And if you're in Los Angeles and you've already voted by mail, you can go to lavote.net to check your mail-in ballot status to make sure your ballot has been received and verified. Next up is Vinny Chiver. We talk about the importance of civic engagement and voting, losing a lead in a new TV show due to the pandemic, our respective run-ins with Philip Seymour Hoffman, Vinny's production company and his documentary Lost in America, and his organization The Salon. Here now is me talking with the charming and very insightful Vinny Chipper. So, so this is funny. Um, I was talking to my sound engineer, Chris, uh, Chris was also the best man at my wedding. Uh, and you and him and I were, we were all in an acting class together and, yes. um, and so I said, I said, Hey, I'm about to interview Vinny. And he brought up this memory. Um, I didn't know oh, re- the
3: time he said he wasn't going out. And then I ran into him later. Oh, I remember.
0: <laughs> okay. So, well, all right, great. So I'm going to hear your side of this. Cause this was really funny <laughs> the way he told it. So, so he said, <laughs> he said, I guess like 10 or more years ago, Chris was supposed to be in a reading of a play that you'd set up. Is this what you're talking about?
3: Yeah, and he was supposed to do it, and he bailed and said he was like sick or something. And then after the reading, we went to the bar, and that dude was there. <laughs> I saw you later. You <laughs> I didn't don't tell me that the part, but I remember the look on his face when I walked in.
0: <laughs> okay, so so here's what he told me. Here's, this is what really happened because maybe you don't know what really happened. This is a, this is so great. So I guess he's supposed to be in the reading of a play that you set up apparently he and i had gotten so stoned that afternoon that he completely forgot about this reading until you called him and you were like where are you man and you she had he told me that he told you sorry buddy like i was too high to do it or whatever but he said he was like, you were not mad. He said you, he said he could tell that you were mad, but he said that you were really cool about it. And But apparently you repeatedly said, like, seriously, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a, about that, that, as angry.
3: That sounds like me. Yo, that sounds like me.
0: <laughs> That's like, about seriously? as angry as, like, a certain kind of straight dude gets.
1: Seriously, dude? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, I'm
3: sure I said that. I, I don't remember like like that but like yeah that sounds like me
0: that's 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 such bro culture seriously dude (laughs) it
3: really is
0: i'm so listen i just want to say it's so funny it's such a funny story so he he said to me he was like vinny probably still hates me do you still hate chris
3: no 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 my god it was a play reading it was more like don't be an asshole man like just be cool like Yeah. yeah seriously the, that that's basically what it was.
0: I mean, it's so understandable. I would have been furious if it was my thing. I would have l- lit him up. Um,
3: oh oh make, make no mistake about it. I was going to like but what no, did you what I, did end you end up doing it's play reading and it's like whatever
0: Were you able to grab someone quickly to have re- them read the part I,
3: you, honestly, you know I, I think this probably speaks to why I don't uh, uh, begrudge anyone I don't even remember yeah i I, I, I don't it was so long ago. Yeah. I think it was more than 10 years ago. I, I really do. He said he referenced a, an
0: apartment that I was living in that was like my, I had only been in LA for maybe a year and a half. So it could have yeah, been longer Yeah, this, was, this was like 2008. Yeah. And I mean, 2009? I'm like, I don't get stoned in the afternoon anymore. Not that much. <laughs> I mean, during the pandemic, I guess, sort of, I don't know, once or twice. Um, but like, not really. Um, So yeah, it felt like it was a long time ago. That's uh, so yeah, funny. I think.
3: Minute ago. Tell him no, no, no. I'm, I, I hope he's doing uh, well, and and uh, I do not begrudge him uh, <laughs> at all for getting high in the middle of the afternoon and and missing a reading. He's a very forgivable, for, for, forgivable man. Uh, he is. Person. That's a great adjective to use about
0: him. Yeah, he's it's a like very a definitive adjective. He's a very, a very lovable very guy. Um, it's hard to not love the guy even when he's infuriating um my cousin is a playwright and he was living up in chicago for a lot of years and he remembered a story about i think it was john favreau was doing like a play up in chicago had a part in this play Mm -hmm. and like the day they were opening like opening night he booked rudy oh man which you know he, (laughs) he appears in you know so um he so he's like he I guess he can't do the show that night he, and I, my cousin said like the director of the play had been like off cigarettes for a like X amount of years or what I like went oh, out man. like bought a pack of smokes like that night <laughs> 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 had to figure it out um, I mean you just see how to figure it out yeah hard. um so how you doing man
3: generally you know given uh, it it, i'm not gonna lie it's been a challenging uh it's been a challenging couple of weeks uh and i've had to kind of remind myself that my you know my my family and my friends are are healthy and safe uh and that i have a you know i i live with uh one of my best friends i i have a lovely uh girlfriend and I I'm keenly aware of the privilege that I enjoy when I say it's been a tough couple of weeks, but it's been a tough couple of weeks. It's like projects that I was attached to that paperwork's done, you know, have been just.
0: They're officially, uh, officially canceled.
3: Officially, officially canceled. And, And you and I know how difficult it is to, you know, book leads on shows and projects. It's like, yeah. I don't want to say difficult. I, I should say, like, it, it's – it doesn't just – you don't stumble across, like, the perfect part and the perfect show and the perfect – all these things that you're like, oh, my God, I'm so – like, it's so rare. And that that was – you know, the, this was one of those for me. And it's it, – uh, you know, we've been on hold since January. Yeah. I've been atta- – you know, and so so you th- just find out, like, hey, can't do it. So was this a pilot that was, that was casting this? No, it was a direct, it was a direct, a series, it was a series order. Oof. I know. I know, I know. It was, oof. Jeez, man. It was, yeah, yeah. And I, it wasn't anybody's fault. It's just, you know, well, I'm not going to say that, but I am going to say that, you know, at this time,
0: it, why, were you gonna say it's Donald Trump's fault? Is that a... I'm not gonna say. I, I,
3: I hesitate to say that because it, it. Yeah. I think we. In in some ways, we are all culpable for where we're at. Right? right. Like, collectively speaking, like at like I know your face just did a thing, and I understand what you're saying. No, I don't know I, what in my face. You know, I, I literally there's a face, a... there's a face. There's a face. There's a clot face. You're like. <laughs> I reached for
0: some water. <laughs> no, no, no. I think I, I think what I think when you were saying, I guess my brain, the place I think my brain went to when you said we're all culpable—I guess is maybe the the that we are seeing sort of like a groupthink, but in in a in some unhealthy ways. Is that we were talking about, like people showing up at the beach and like partying, and is that what you mean?
3: I, I think I, I think that there's there are so many things that we can point to, one is that, look, regardless of what one person says or does, it's individual responsibility, right? When it comes to like, I'm gonna put on a mask, I'm gonna stay safe, I'm gonna stay away from people, I'm gonna do the things that I need to do, not only for myself, but for other people around me, for the community around me, for society around me. So, yeah. uh, and um, and the other thing is, you know, uh, voting. Like we we all and myself included fell asleep and not I'm not talking about just national elections I'm talking about like state local municipal elections that we we just fell asleep at the wheel for a decade so important and, yeah and and you know I and a lot of people uh, we, we didn't pay you know we didn't even know who funds the police department here who right. who makes sure the arts are are funded here or who is who is in the state legislature passing uh, bills that we find morally and ethically objectionable
4: right
3: uh, i i don't know that even gubernatorial races I, I don't think i think we all fell asleep for well, like a very long time
0: yeah certainly like 2018 i think was the first time that I can recall right. really engaging in like midterm elections yes, and getting yes. on the phone yes. for people. And, you know, I'd been, I'd been, I feel like I'd been active back starting with, I guess, when Barack Obama was running in 2008, yeah. getting on the phone with people from the first time. You could do it from home, which was a new yeah. thing. You could do it using your laptop. And I remember having wild yeah. conversations with people. They would connect you with somebody in some other state. And I remember people asking like, don't you think that guy's the devil? And you were like, oh, my uh, Lord. Uh, no, no, I don't <laughs> like, no, why would you, why would you say that? And you why get in these, you say that? yeah, why would you say that you go right off script? Cause you're supposed to basically at that point, probably you're supposed to hang up the phone, but you're, I, but you, you kept going. I mean, I think I, probably because I'm so, I'm so, I'm very curious about people. So yeah, probably yes. I was like, why, why would you say that? I would, I would be too
3: I would ask the same question which is what, why, why? why would you say that
0: yeah, I don't see any horns <laughs> I mean, um I don't know what you're referring to, but um yeah, no, you're absolutely right yeah it, we have to put all of this in perspective um certainly Hollywood though is uh, closed for business I mean they keep saying, oh, we'll go back in August, we'll go back in September, we'll go back in November like are you, are you is anything moving for you that's new that's happening now? Well that
3: I mean, <laughs> well that was supposed to be it. Yeah that, however, of course uh, the project does, but, um, uh, right now, I think um, I do have friends who are who either have already left, uh, who are already in Canada and Europe and quarantining and and they're gearing up. I have friends who mm-hmm. have shooting dates. At least outside shooting dates uh, for September and October in LA. Um, I uh, yeah, so I, I mean, and I know development is really right now there are a lot of people uh, uh, developing content, like a lot of companies, a lot of people. They're just gearing up for, you know, when we have some sort of process set. Um, but it's I, it, it's going to be a different. We're going to have to just learn how to work differently. Like I, I shot a piece uh, a couple of months ago where I, they, they basically sent a, a, uh a, a dude sat in his car outside my apartment all day. He left a huge uh, cart in our lobby and on the cart camera lenses, lobs, lights, sandbags, Apple boxes, props, hmm laptop and then they had an iPad mounted underneath the camera lens wow um, and they basically had me connect their laptop to the camera and in a call they had separate virtual rooms with different department heads and that's how we set up the shot
0: so wait a minute I'm sorry this is for what which project was this for oh
3: this was this was honestly this was a, a, a commercial with uh, Michelle Gondry
1: and oh my god um, oh, nice. and i oh, cool. i
3: never i i honestly i never do i'm just not great at them commercial work is is challenging for me usually okay. uh, but yeah um it's just it's really <laughs> it's really hard commercials you're um, typically
0: you're going for you're really trying to thread a needle with with commercials there's like there's not a lot of ambiguity in terms of what they want Yeah. would you say like, you got to kind of hit your mark and nail the line the way they want you to say the line.
3: I think you can say it. I, I, I feel like I, I rarely uh, audition for them anyways, but, but I feel like you have probably had a more success in that. I don't know. I can't answer it because I have no idea how I booked that one. So I never know why I booked them.
0: (laughs) When I do book them, I'm always like, Oh, they
3: were really, Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I have no idea um, but this one, yeah, it was, it was a project with, uh, uh but one of the reasons I was like, yes, um, was, was because of that. But the whole process was like really interesting talking, you know, you had a set designer asking you like, do you have anything that has a little bit more of a, a pattern to it? And I'm like, no, yeah. <laughs> so I have a blanket that I can, you know? Um, and, uh, uh, having to do this you know, 30 second kind of improv exercise over and over and over again for like seriously, like eight hours. Wow. Um, uh, and having like, you'd hear it, you say, A-trum-o-trum. like it was, <laughs> but you could see, you could see. I was face. doing a like... face
0: there, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> I like your Michelle Gondry impression.
3: <laughs> Be he's, really he's, a really, uh, he's, a, he's a really, really good dude. Um, and uh, it's a very dry sense of humor. Um, yeah. I remember when we were, they were just, uh, they were talking, some of the props I sent over, there was one prop in particular that, and it was just a small, it was the piece of paper we had to hold up that had, they were going to replace with like a photograph, but they had the uh, visual effects, crosses things on it okay. and he did not like the fact that it was cardboard and not paper he wanted
0: it to be paper. something that is not going to be on camera at all
3: it's just that well right? we had a part of the piece was like we had to put it up to the screen but he oh, wanted okay. it to be like paper because they were going to replace it he wanted the texture for whatever they're going to put on top okay of
0: all that, right that seems know. like it makes sense
3: okay i got it now yeah. he said this is the this is the first day <laughs> nobody really knows anybody so he goes uh and he, he was he says that uh he was producing this with with his brother and he says that when they tell him about the cardboard and so the paper he goes I, I, uh you uh you said yes to this and they say your brother did he goes uh, a yeah, uh, 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 terrible. <laughs> I am terrible. never working with uh, my brother again. And he just sat on it. like he looked, just said it and then sat there, and no one said anything
0: until somebody me. like figured it
3: out. I started laughing. <laughs> uh, which is why he gave, which I, <laughs> which is why later he was he was uh, well, he was fun with me, but but, yeah, he's a really funny, really good dude and um i just wanted to be able to say i don't know when i'm when i'm gonna get that you know uh chance to work with that dude so hey i was like 30 seconds fine like let's do it i think that
0: has happened to me on occasion with commercial auditions where it's like i remember going to a callback once they don't they won't tell you sometimes you know that like you're yeah. gonna walk into the room and like I think it was the guy's name is Todd Field. He directed. Um, I know that name. In the bedroom, I remember that was one. Like I That's went to a why. callback for something that I think was a comedy, and I walked in and it yeah, I think someone in the hallway was like, "Oh, Todd Field is in there," and you're like, "Well, what the well, fuck this!" Like, give, yeah, give me another five minutes. Like, just look at the fucking. <laughs> Our friend uh, exactly. Jonathan Runyon did a bank commercial that Philip Seymour Hoffman directed. Did you know that? No, yeah, and Philip I can't remember the Hoffman name
3: of the, was yeah,
0: I can't remember the name of the bank and you know, but Jonathan got to spend, you know a couple days with Philip Seymour Hoffman and has some outstanding you know memories, but you know, PSH was making a little extra scratch directing a commercial at the time.
3: You, did you you went into him
0: at school though, right? Oh, did I ever tell you it? I met him? I did. I meet ran him into him a
3: couple of times, man. I
0: yeah. Well, I ran into him. I was going to see a production in the UK of Jesus Hop the A-Train, which was a Labyrinth okay. production. And yeah. um, I was there with my mom and he was there. He was there. And the, it was at the Donmar Warehouse. And uh, my mom w- was great about it. She knew how much I loved him. And she was like, you should go talk to him. So... Um, I went over to him at the end of the show. He was standing outside with an orange baseball cap on. And uh, I just said, like, hey, Mr. Hoffman, like, I'm such a big fan of you, or something like that. And I said, um, you know, I think you teach at Adler every once in a while. And, um, yeah, you know, I just love to hope I get the opportunity to, like, uh, work with you at some point. And he gave me I, I was I think I. He he. Somehow he like I can't remember exactly, but he gave me his assistant's information to to be in touch with him. So then I would invite him to like every single thing that we were doing at NYU through his assistant. I, if I was doing a play, I'd be like, "Hey, is he available? You, yeah, just come see." You know, and but, yeah, you know, the response was always like, "Well, he's filming in Budapest, or you know, whatever." So it's like, not, <laughs> oh, right. But he was. I will say, like, he was awesome to me in my f- couple of seconds with him. He was so cool. Such a cool dude.
3: Yeah, I, I've, I the few times I, I got a chance to uh, speak with him, I I found him to be like incredibly generous with his time and his advice and just kind. Yep. Really, really uh, kind person. Uh, um, I have you seen the movie Loving Liza?
0: Mm-hmm. I think I've yeah, seen I, I think I got... I've seen
3: every I don't do not with every actor, but I think with him, I've seen
0: every single thing he's done.
3: That, I mean, oh man, that was a dark film, but, uh, huffing fumes is a weird thing to be like, Oh, oh, people do that. Yeah, It's just like (laughs) of all the things though. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, he was so good in it and I I went to a screening of it that he just happened to be at and he ended up talking for like 10 minutes, which at that time, you know, we're in school you're like the best. Um, yeah, it was really, um, I also appreciate it when someone, uh, you know, when you meet someone that you respect artistically that way, that they're they're like a nice person. Yep. I oh doesn't always happen that way. No, no it does not. <laughs> yeah. But in this case it did, and I I, I um man. We lost one.
0: Yeah, we lost some people that, you know, for me, it was like the it was like him and Gandolfini and Robin Williams. Like yeah. Those three, when, like that was. Robin Williams broke me, dude. Yeah. I cried.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, oh, that, I was, know. that was rough.
0: So now you and I, so we go all the way back to Stella Adler Studios. Um, yes, sir. You were in the conservatory program there. Very nice guy. Always a fun, welcome smile. It was always a pleasure chatting with you around the studio. I remember cracking up
3: a lot with you.
0: Yes, there was um, a lot of
3: laughing. This is what I this is what I appreciate about you. It's see, never, there's, we're never short of laughs.
0: No, we aren't. And so and so then we moved out to LA with a group of actors. And you and I have been in multiple acting classes together over the years. Um, yeah, but it's always great catching up. Last time you and I hung out, you and just you and me, we were grabbing coffee, and you had yeah. started a production company and were producing films, right? And you're still doing, yes.
3: That. Yes, yes. Uh, there are about three different, uh, I think, three different things I'm I'm involved in. Uh, one was uh, the production company um, called Timberman Productions. I started it with Mike Manning. Uh, I think it was 2013. I think um, we produced three films. Uh, one is Folker Funny Guy, with premier- which premiered at Tribeca, uh, and uh, the second. Uh, was MFA, which premiered at South by, and we had uh, the Jess third.
0: Just Nurse, uh, sorry, just Nurse was somebody I interviewed for this series, and she was in that, I think, right? Oh, MFA.
3: yeah, 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 just Nurse is great, yeah, good people, good people, um, and uh, and then we uh, recently uh, wrapped up a documentary called Lost in America about uh, homeless youth. In the United States, um, Rosario Dawson, Halle Berry, and a few other people were on board as, with the, uh, as EPs with you, us on that.
0: Yeah, so I was going to ask you about that, that particular project. Could you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about how that one came about?
3: Uh, the filmmaker um, uh, Rotimi Rainwater reached out to us over Facebook because he saw um I, I don't know where he he saw like a press release or something about what the company uh, was founded uh, the the premise uh, that Chiverman is founded on is creative activism that is using art to facilitate change in the communities around us um yeah and and so he saw that and he sent us over he sent us an email of a, a facebook message and um we went and saw we saw like maybe 10 minutes of footage and we're like we've never produced a documentary before we don't know anything you know we produ- we had kind of produced one but not like on this you know this was like they've got the footage they've got a little bit of funding but they don't and i i gotta tell you man that most the circles we run in i know that a lot of people are at least try to be as socially politically aware as they can be Uh, I was so taken aback by just the the stories broke me. The numbers shocked me Yeah, that just the the sheer number of youth in the United States that are homeless is like, you wouldn't think you just, you don't, you know, you don't think about it, but we're talking in the millions. Wow. Um, And it was, uh, it was an exercise in uh, humility and gratitude and the acknowledgement of of uh privilege yeah like you know thank god i had the parents i did and thank god i had the friends i did and the family i did and, and the community i have because oh were there you any, watch it were the takeaways uh
0: where can people watch it now uh,
3: i think you can now i mean you can watch it uh, it's on vod so you, you should be able to get it pretty much anywhere
0: okay google the title yeah. It's called... Uh, um,
3: Lost in America.
0: Lost in America. Were yeah. there any takeaways in terms of what, what can be
3: done to solve? Yeah, I mean, there there are... You can go to lostinamericafilm.com, by the way, and that should give you pretty much... Uh, there's a foundation uh, that the filmmakers started uh, that works with homeless youth. Uh, there are ways... I mean, we're talking about, like, paying attention really who you're voting for. Voting makes yeah. an enormous difference. Being involved in a community makes a huge difference. So like when we're talking about like, okay, uh, there's this story about these these kids. It was in some state in New England. I can't remember if it was Vermont or New Hampshire. And there's this phrase we call, uh, there's this acronym, it's NIMBY, which means not in my backyard, hmm. which means people acknowledge may acknowledge homelessness, but they don't want to see it. Yeah. So a, a municipality had been given funds to to uh, to uh, build a, a center for homeless youth, a place where they could sleep, a place where they could be safe. And they refused to take the money because they didn't want it in their town. So oh instead, God. these kids had to walk across this bri- – fr- like freezing – this is – this is, uh, I can't remember what the term is. It's like where they can stay warm in the winter – wouldn't open till 7pm. They had to walk in the dark, across a bridge through whatever to get to this place, where if there was enough room, then they would get a place to stay. And the like that is that type, that's why voting matters. And that's why paying attention to what's happening in one's community matters. Because those kids should never have to do that is nuts that is incredibly callous. And, and, uh, and I don't think people mean for it to be that way. They just don't like you're confronted with your own complicity in the system that exists. And sure. I, I think that that's really hard for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would have been, um, you know, yeah, I think about my own experience, like I was, I got very lucky to be I was adopted by a couple of Americans, but I was born into a situation where historically, um, somebody mm. like me would have been potentially taken away by the church and yeah. mal- malnourished and maybe end up buried underneath a, a church as a child. Yeah. So, um, Oh my Lord. You, you, I got incredibly lucky to be placed with yeah. a, a family, um, th- and thoughtfully placed with a family. Yes. You know, I was lucky that my, my birth mother made some very smart and, and thoughtful decisions for, for my life at the time. Um, mm. But yeah, it, it, there, but for the grace of God, go I is, is, is one of those things to think about when, when, uh, when thinking about those kinds of stories. Um, so you, in terms of producing independent film, um, this is one of those things that is supposed to be a very hard part of the business. Did you, and you had studied acting. So what, what were some of the things that you learned when you got into producing independent
3: film? Um, one is it, uh, I, um, I learned to always approach every situation, assuming that I didn't know, like I don't know. When I yeah. when when uh, talking to anyone, assuming that I don't know everything, and that was the easiest way for me to help whomever it was that I was supposed to help. Uh, I I also think that actors are uniquely suited to it. You do because we are one of the few people that yeah, I do uh, because especially especially if you've been in the theater, because if you've done any sort of black box, independent theater, if you've had to take an acting class where you've had to like bring all your profs and everything in there, you have to do everything. And even if you're working in film and television, you are one of very few people that is that works with, interacts with, or someone is interacting with you in some capacity on every level of production, right? Yeah. Whether it's hair and makeup, sound, editing, cinematography, directing, writing, all those things, you're the person that it funnels through. Yeah. So, so you know, uh, I think that in that respect, uh, yes, uh, we are. Um, and I wish, you know, looking back on on school, I wish one of the things that we had really engaged in was the idea of producing your own content. Um, yep. And... and um the other thing uh that i think was important um is that choosing the right choosing the right partner choosing the right people to work with who you surround yourself with it's not just like oh this is my best friend i trust this person it is i trust this person they are talented and if they say something's going to get done they get it they done they get it done yeah and they also balance out what what uh because you're not everybody is has the same strengths right so um i've been fortunate that uh mike manning my producing partner and i uh balanced each other out really really well and and despite not really having any experience uh, uh in producing up to that point um we took a year to, to we took meetings and mike is so good at at uh, building social capital, we we had meetings with some really really successful influential uh, producers um, in both film and television who gave us uh, really really great advice mm. and and became advocates uh, for us in rooms that we had no business being in at the time, um, and we brought on people that we knew. That's the, that was the other thing. It's like you know. When you're whether you're casting or you're looking for a DP or or you're even taking meetings with directors, the first place you go to is your own is your own people. There are always ways I'm I'm looking to do that because I know you know if I if there's a gig and it it I'm like oh this is this is Claude that's who I'm gonna call because I know you I know your work and I know you know what you're doing like I don't have, <laughs> I don't have to go out. Uh, outside of uh, my network for that so um yeah i think those were the the i will say this is for any actor that's listening to it if you're going to produce a short film try and and this was told like numerous producers have have said this uh try and make sure it's tied to a larger project Oh, like uh, try and make sure it's a proof of con- almost functions as both an artistic piece but also proof of concept.
0: Yeah, so like Whiplash. Whiplash started as a short. yes.
3: Whiplash is a great example.
0: Yeah, started as a short, then becomes feature film.
3: Yeah. Um, I think. Uh, yeah. So uh, right now we're just searching for uh, our newest project and. Uh, the last thing, uh, that I'm working on right now is, um, uh, this, uh, organization called the salon. Um, so yeah, I, this is, yeah.
0: this is in an effort to bolster South Asian visibility in front of and behind the camera.
3: You, you both. And lost... narrative and stories, right? Cause yeah. I, I think, you know, when, when even I, cause I look back at like, you know, even the plays that you, you and I had to do or the, the yeah. stories that we had to tell, I, we would go and we would take translations from like a, a Russian playwright or a German playwright or an Italian playwright or a right. French playwright. I don't remember ever doing a play from Japan. Right. Or doing a play from India or doing, you know what I mean? Like yep. it was, and I don't think that they, or or that studio or that school in particular it is the only one I think that that's no, it's pretty reminiscent pervasive of in America. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was the type of stories. Cause I, I started, you know, looking at how that affected the way I saw myself a, as, as a kid. And, and you know, when you're watching television or you're watching film and the only time you see yourself represented, someone's making fun of you the right. whole time. Right. It does start to play on your sense of self-worth and the of way course. you see yourself. Right. Um, and then when you go into uh, uh, an institution or, or, or I should say a career uh, in the arts that that is supposed to be inclusive and supposed to be freeing and where you can breathe. Uh, and you still come across and not that I look, I don't have a problem with doing any of those things. they're brilliant. All I'm saying is that there are also other places where we can pull narrative from that we can explore, that that don't necessarily have to do with Chekhov, Shakespeare, or or uh, or Molière. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, and and so it started there. But I think more importantly, when I looked at the types of characters that I wanted to play, or the types of stories I wanted to tell, um, and or you know uh, uh, advocacy or any of those things. Um, I didn't see a lot of it out there and I wondered why. And it was, it was conversations about, you know, opportunity and advocacy and mentorship and all these things and, yeah. and, and community.
0: Yeah. So now, so the program seeks, this lawn seeks to connect aspiring South Asian talent with established members of the entertainment industry. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And where, yes. where can prospective applicants apply for the program?
3: They can go to the salon dot XYZ. And if they go there, there is uh, there's a link to the mentorship program. They can apply there. Um, and yeah. Uh, uh, and yeah, I think mentorship's is a, a pretty big one, because when you come out here and there is no one to no. Guide you, no know one to walk you through, because being uh, uh, an an uh, actor of color and specifically South Asian, there are just so few people. There's there were just so few people here. Um, as a member of your own community, that you that, as a member yeah. uh, uh, of um, my uh, this community, no, there yeah. just there wasn't anyone that could tell you. Well, what do you do when the only jobs you're going out for? Are require you to speak in an accent that makes you ashamed of who you are
4: right what do
3: you do when you're constantly being asked to uh, uh, play a, a terrorist right that is terrorizing the very country you live in right. uh, what do you do when people continue to perpetuate this idea of what it is to be South Asian and that's bad right so or this is the only thing it can be that's right. Right, the box kind of stuck in this box. Yeah. and um, you kind of had to like stumble through uh, those appointments, those auditions, those meetings with agents and managers and casting directors and producers. you just had no way to navigate and you had no you had no one to really advocate on your behalf in that particular case because it was the uh, there was just there was nothing. And you're being
0: told so, in agent meetings early on, cut and dry, like you're not going to work in these roles. You're not going to work in these oh, roles. Oh
3: my gosh, yes. Which I, is interesting I, because I, I, you are. The big one was like, are you funny?
0: <laughs> that was a big one. Yeah, you had to be funny because you were going to be put into a sidekick position. Or yeah. That's what they're going to believe. Yeah.
3: Like, um, and, and so, and I didn't, you know what, man? It took a while before I worked.
0: Yeah, well, because, the, because you are, you are not a, you're a you're not really a character looking dude. You are a leading man. Thanks man.
3: (laughs) Uh, But, but I, I did not book for a while because of that. It it was really, you just didn't get in the rooms for the stuff that you were right for. You, you were, you know, um, they're just, when you look at a film and you're, you're talking about casting, this is the only way to put it. Is it, If you would have like a serious character actor like uh Paul Giamatti Mm -hmm. or or is it Tom Cruise? Right? Those two those two men are talented, but the film changes drastically depending on who's the lead of it. Yeah. (laughs) Paul Giamatti doing Mission Impossible.
0: I would love to see Mission Impossible dude. Paul Giamatti on the side of a building would be pretty fucking funny. I don't think he'd be sitting there being like, he's such a badass. I think naturally no. you'd just be like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. I hope he's, I hope he's okay.
3: But, but no, the, the, those two men are brilliant. But yeah, th- that's kind of, oh. uh, the, of the situation is. that yeah. you're in. Yeah. It's just like, well, you're brown. Does, this, this says Egyptian. Oh, it doesn't matter. And they're
0: like, what, what? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, that's what's, you know, it's interesting for me is like, I've got this mixed heritage and I'm half Middle Eastern. And but of course, yeah. you know, I pass really for white. So it's right. like, I, you know, yeah, I, I, since you typically just sort of watch what's happening and, you know, just have to I find myself a lot just being like, well, this is, that's really <laughs> stupid. But, <laughs> you know, like, uh, but um yeah, it's, I got to kind of just shut up and like, you know, <laughs> do
3: no, I mean, it's a, look, it, 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 the conversations themselves are, of course, uh, nuanced and
0: well here and, here I wanted yeah. to ask you about something in particular. Um, yeah. So let's get into some of the work that you're doing as an actor. So, you're so now you're you more recently, you've popped up on a lot of current hot shows like Animal Kingdom and God Friended Me, uh, in in addition to others. You also cameoed in some prestige films like Marriage Story. (laughs) And and, am I overselling that? Is that why you're laughing? I didn't see you know what? Go with it. Go with it. I didn't see Marriage Story because I thought it would depress me because I am married and I just thought it it will, (laughs) it will exactly.
3: Good
0: movie. I'll watch it eventually. You also yeah. starred as starred as Liam Bott in The the Red Line, which was a series yes. that was exec-produced by Ava DuVernay and Greg Berlanti, and it aired for a season yes. on CBS. So huge congratulations yes. on that. Thank you. You played a Chicago school teacher who happens to be Muslim and gay. You were also considered a standout yes. for your work on the series. Um, so I wanted to ask you, so did you feel a lot of responsibility with those particular yes. descriptors to play that character?
3: Oh, man, it was... Uh you know, that sort of intersectionality is, is, God, it's just complicated. And it, it, it's, it was, uh, oh, I did, I did feel a lot of, uh, I just felt a responsibility, you know? So, so I went about educating myself in in the best way I could. And that was reading and talking to people and, uh, taking in as much information as I could um, and and wanting to make sure that the that what I presented, you know, at the end of the day uh, was a the most nuanced full version of 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 Liam as I could.
0: Yeah. And and you, you
3: critics really
0: loved you in the in this role.
3: If that was great. I mean, it was really, really not that's yeah, obviously that's not why we do it. But it was really nice to hear that people were affected by it. And sure. and I did, you know, hearing from also people that identified uh, with it. And it was the first time they'd seen themselves. Yeah. Represented in in, in a in a story in a positive way. And um, it, it really does remind you how powerful storytelling is, What what we do can really, really changed the way people uh, think yeah. and, and see themselves. It's awesome.
0: Um, so I wanted to ask you, this is a kind of an interesting question. Um, so you're, you're currently working with a publicist, is that correct? I am. Okay. So now I've never had a publicist myself, um, mm-hmm. but it, it's considered normal once an actor is on a network series to have one. Um, so here's an interesting question for you. When do you think an actor should get a publicist?
3: When they have something to, uh, I I I do not think unless it's how do I say this? Let me take that back for a second. Um, I was going to say like when you have something to talk about, but that's relative, so I don't want to say that. Uh, right. wh- what I do want to say, because um, that was a it because it, it is it is an expense, um, but. Especially now, let's say you are a series reg on the show or you're like either or a lead in a, in a film in a big film that's going to be coming out or, or, or a large supporting and in, in, uh, in, in a film um, or, or theater. Like, let's say you're you're going to be in the show. Uh, yeah, only because whereas, look, I think at the end of the day, the work is the work. Like you have to do that well first before yeah. anything else that is all you focus on, especially if it's your like first gig. Cause I, I'm assuming that the question is predicated on this, whomever it is, hasn't had a publicist before. So they're like, I, yeah, think I think it's an interesting
0: question for people who listen to, because it's one of those. I also talked to somebody else. Um, Chantelle Tui.
3: We t- oh, I, dude, she's, she's my people. Dude, I love her.
0: She's, 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 so she's awesome. And I talked to her about, she optioned a book. Yes, she did. So the, these are, like, things that I think people... I, I think there's some mystery around, like, these processes and why, when these things are supposed to happen in a career. So I, that's why I think they're interesting to talk about.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, dude, I'm I'm so glad you talked to Chantel. I was, she's a close friend of mine. She's so great. She is great, um, yeah. Really talented, too. Fiercely yes. talented. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I would say... I, it's so weird, because Chantel and I had this conversation a couple of years ago... <laughs> about the whole publicist thing oh you did oh um, interesting yeah we we did uh because I, and a lot of uh, a lot of my I should say mutual friends of ours you know there are a lot of people kind of in the last like maybe four years have started to kind of pop off uh yeah or, or like you start to see ascend. end and yeah. um I ultimately what it came it came to me was I was like well I don't know that whether the studio the network like they have their own publicists right Warner Brothers right. has their own publicity team CBS has their own publicity team right but i think you know either either is to help you kind of you increase your brand footprint as as an actor like for whatever the show is or in crisis if something goes wrong. Hopefully it's much more of the prior and none of the latter. So in the prior, it's
0: really kind of about like, sort of making sure the that prior, like, you have a job maybe after that show ends.
3: You have a job maybe after that show when you know it's like getting ready to like.
0: Because once for, you're for a career. network series lead you're typically you're on a short list
3: every pilot season from then on every pilot season you're i will say this though it 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 depends on who you are so like if if you're already a, a brand name, you already are and i will say that it's it takes more than one show i think before you're like but the, the nature of the appointments does change, like the types of opportunities afforded to you. I don't know if the number really does, but uh, but people do, uh, I think you feel a little freer creatively to kind of take, I don't wanna say take the risks, but like engage in the type of, of character building and narrative that, that you initially came in wanting to do anyways. Yeah. Uh, now you have a little agency in inter- It's like it's a very internal thing, but like yeah. I, that was my, you know, but I'm glad. Yeah. So that or like let's say, let's say you get cast in in a, a pilot, or you get cast in something and it's very strong recurring arc or whatever. Uh, a publicist is the one that can, that can call up the trades and let them know it's it, it, it's happening, or someone reaches out. And they're the person that can say, "Oh, I don't think this is a good idea for you to do," or "Oh, this would be great for you to do." Are they
0: expensive? Do they are they do they do they take commission like an agent yeah,
3: does? Uh, they. I, I think it depends on the publicist, honestly. Okay, I I can't say that definitively, but given, I think so. I think that they can work either on a retainer. I think it mostly is retainer now that. It, yeah, it's mostly retainer.
0: So it's expensive to have one.
3: Oh, it can, it, de- it depends on who you're working with, with, and, and what they're trying to do. Like it's, it can, yes, but yes, it is expensive.
0: So let me ask you, so, so where can people find you online?
3: Uh, on, on Instagram and on Twitter, it's V Chibber. That's v c h h i b b e r, And, um, Vinny Chibber on Facebook and I uh, don't, have like an official website, or I guess I am. <laughs> but you're still, but you're still oh, no, doing I, Facebook. I, I'm not on Facebook, but the, where I, the Instagram post to my, the business, I, I don't really go on there, but like it's on there. Yeah. It's on there. Got it. All right. Well, listen, buddy,
0: thank you so much for coming. Thank on you, here. man. This is great. It was great just to catch up. Oh, it always is. Uh, you're very kind to make the time. Congrats on all your success. I'm looking forward to watching you do more exciting things. Um, And I'm wishing you safety and good health, man.
3: Yeah, same to you. Same to
1: you. To
0: everyone out there, if you listened all the way to the end of this 10th episode, I want to say thanks again. This series was born out of a desire to connect with talented friends during a hugely bizarre moment in history that has profoundly affected the United States and many other countries around the world. Working on this series was a salve for my own mental health. I hope it brought you some joy. I hope it was a respite, respite, respite during these last couple months. Our sound engineer is Christopher Frontiero, and our series composer is Cormac Bluestone. Our series graphics editor is Dan Olszewski. I'd also like to thank my wife, Catherine. I'd like to say another thanks to Winston Carter and also to Erica Curry. Thank you to Matthew Carlin for designing our website, Nikki DiGitano and Sella Shaloni for photography, and to Ryan Harvey Percy for handling our Twitter account. Thanks to Icelandic Glacial for their hugely helpful support. Thanks to my parents, and thanks to my guests this season. Stay tuned.